My name is Eris, and here we are talking about Western droughts since the last ice age. How are yes. you this morning? I'm doing pretty good. Um, waking up surprisingly well. You know, it's that time of year where you're cold in your house, and uh, do you have that happen to you? It's that time of year where I need to wake up early. Um, because what happens is around eight thirty, I just get so tired. That I'm just like, I need to go to bed, and then I end up waking at like 4.30. Yeah. Um, it's darker earlier. The seasonal depression is setting in. It is. Um, I find a lot that in these weird transitional months before the AC is full blast or the heat is full blast, mm-hmm. it just kind of, like, it tends to be colder, hot. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, I, I feel that. Because, like, it's not, I like, I'm colder now than I would be in, like, the middle of winter, like, February or something, because then I'm kind of adjusted to it. Yeah, and that that's also, like, I mean, on top of, you know, a 50-degree day hitting different than it would in spring. Yeah. I, the temperature alternates still in between hot and cold, so we don't really use the heat fully yet. Yeah, because, like, you know, you can have something like last week where it was, like, 70 degrees for the entire week. Yeah. And then immediately, like, now it's going to be, like, 40s, 30s until, like, December. Even depending on the year, you know, getting yeah. into winter, sometimes there's just one warm day that screws it up. Mm-hmm. But we're here to talk about... Yes, we're here to talk about Western U.S. drought. The, the best coast. And the best coast. What, what's the deal with it? The best coast subjective highly so i found this hat <laughs> no coat oh what does that say midwest no coast <laughs> sweet well they call it the third coast it's a fake coast that's uh, what they say yeah like they call um like the whole michigan coast the third coast it's just like they call chicago like the second city or the paris of america which i don't get at all that's like saying Salt Lake City is a Bay Area town. That's just not true. Yeah, that 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 is false. It's like, mm, yes, Sacramento, the most eastern city in the Bay Area. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Ridiculous. So what, what what do we got there? We have ports. We have no we water. Have ports. We have a lot of infrastructure. No water. And lack of water. Yes. So let, let's go back in time. All right. Will you step into my time machine to mm-hmm. the Pelestocene Epic Ice Age? I don't know how it's pronounced. Epoch, I usually think. All right. Thank you, apes. Um, 10,000 BP, meaning before present. Um, I saw it on Wikipedia and I was like, hmm, that might be a better way of saying it than like 8,000 BCE. Yeah. So this is the Ice Age. Um, this is um, important to notice. This is not, and I want, I can't stress this enough, not the continent where the Ice Age movies took place. Hmm. That's somewhere really? in Eurasia. Okay. Okay. So this is 
maybe might have been before this, but when it's most likely that the first humans came into North and South America, land bridge up there, and basically all of Canada and most of the Midwest was tundra and an ice sheet. Okay. And the thing that I find most interesting is look around the East Coast. Like, the U.S. is, like, a little bit fatter. Oh, yeah. Like, especially Florida. Huh. Uh, you know, like, Tampa, it's basically just all land. And then, you know, California's a bit bigger. The East Coast, though, is, like, a lot larger. So, ignoring this um, vertical red line upward and global temperature anomalies, um, <laughs> let's notice about 8,000 uh, BCE how that temperature was super low um, going back further than that. Yeah, so, and in the Western U.S., it really meant the climate was just colder than it was. It wasn't, strictly speaking, an ice sheet. Although really interesting, Nevada basically all forested with many lakes. Oh, interesting. And Utah being mostly lakes, too. Huh. It looks like Middle America is pretty unchanged. Yeah. I, you know, I'm assuming that it was probably colder overall. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, you know, it is the Ice Age. We'll get in into this a bit. Of climate, um, in terms of climate sort of descriptors, though, you're probably only just going to find the same things. We'll get into this a bit more on our uh, series coming up about sea level rise, but it is very possible that there may be... There, like, you know, with climate, anything related to climate, it's hard to tell because things can just happen so irregularly. But all of the fresh water coming into the ocean may disrupt ocean currents in such a way that eventually it'll lead to another ice age. At least a smaller one. Yeah, uh, we'll get into that more, talking about, like, Gulf Stream stoppage or whatever. But... So you think that we're in a hard time now? We've had a drought going on for about two years, mega drought for about 20. This drought was about 3,000 years long. Yeah. So, yeah, stop your whining. People in California are just not ready. They just... Yeah. I mean, if you had they, lived they, through the autothermal long drought like I would, I would have then... They don't you know, make them like just, they used to. <laughs> they do not make them like they used to. Yeah, I had to cross a land bridge both ways to get to school. Yeah, you know, uh, like I started my day in the Kamchatka Peninsula, and then I had to go all the way to Lake Michigan, and then all the way back before it melted. <laughs> yeah. But, so looking at, right after the Ice Age, the temperature went up for about 3,000 years, and that's the Adelphine Long Drought, and all these ice caps receded, and because of that, the sea level rose a lot, uh, basically to where it is now. So it was about 15 or so feet, and that was enough to sink, like, half of what was Florida at the time. <laughs> yeah. So that doesn't bode well for the part that remains. But, yeah, rapid sea level rise, almost a logarithmic graph, uh, shoot such that it's where it is now. Yeah. Ta-da. It's a very, very fine line of where sea level can just swallow up entire nations. It's weird in that, you know, you look at a photo that was, like, just 10,000 years ago, and you say, like, wow, like, all that land just is gone now. Um, yeah. And then 10,000 years from now, 
you know, what's it going to look like? We're not too far away from it. The entirety of the Marshall Islands is less than six feet above sea level. Yeah, and the uh, the nuclear powder dome <laughs> on the Marshall Islands. Yeah. Oh, God, that thing is terrible. I feel bad for him. Speaking of people doing things that um, couldn't be um, justified, I watched Squid Game this weekend. Oh, you did? I did. Have you? I have not. I had it spoiled for me on day one, though. How do you have it spoiled for you? It's not really much to spoil. Well, wow, the main character lives. It's enough to, like, if, if you know who lives and who dies, a lot of the tension is taken out of it, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mr. Bong Joon-ho right now is having a hard time um, wondering how many um, anti-capitalist movies he'll need to make before um, America gets the point. Yeah. So far, we've had Snowpiercer, Parasite, and then now Squid Game, and I don't think America's gotten the point yet. <laughs> Most of the time, America... Um... If there's something that has anti-capitalist sentiments, they tend to apply a little bit of copium. and just... Always over the head. <laughs> it's such a big cope to think that Parasite wasn't about capitalism. I never saw Parasite, but I, 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 I like read a summary or something. It was very blatantly addressing classism. Yeah, because I know that like the, uh, like the really rich family, like in the really poor family, like they got in a relationship or something. Yeah, and the whole thing is like, you know... You also see it through the movie, the rich family lives in the actually geologically higher side of town, mm. and I suppose geographically, but my point is, uh, you know, like, you see the low-income family's house flood, and the other family's like, oh, it's just raining, let's play in the rain. Yeah, you know, climate change only affects people who can't afford to get away from it. Yeah. Yeah beating that over the head. So after um, Jeebus was born and passed on, we, we went to the common era. And so, so once you get to, I don't know, anything from like 2000 or so years from now, uh, years ago, the data starts to become a lot more accurate. Yeah. So this is, this is always a really interesting graph to pull up showing soil moisture in the western u.s um in terms of like tree rings or ice cores or whatever else they're able to find and extrapolating that over the years and looking at the historical context and how the 1900s were by a by far the wettest century in our record <laughs> and so you the main mega droughts that you need to be aware of is one in 900 and then one in about 12 1300 and this is interesting this is a graph of estimated um native american populations and this graph isn't too accurate as you can see there's a lot of uncertainty and around right before european contact these this like 200 year long mega drought happened and the population went down markedly oh wow yeah, because the, at least from what I was able to read, the uh, Pueblo populations in the Southwest U.S. depend Navajo depended so much upon, uh, like corn and other stuff grown in a relatively wet climate that when you had this relatively stable uh, wet period for the last few hundred years, you were able to farm, and then once that stopped, you either had to move and then you died. Yeah. Um. 
it also looks like on that right graph, you see how there's a big bump around 12,500 or 10,000? Uh, kind of, I was going to say that's because of the end of the Ice Age. I was just about to say that's when the um, that correlates with the graph from a few slides ago of the temperature taking a good bump and then by, mm -hmm. yeah, that one. Yeah, just because, like, you know, you can... You, you can can't farm. really farm when the ground is frozen. Yeah, that's not too good. You want to avoid that if you can. Yeah. So, you know, you had... And then, without, you know, totally obvious, the native population just a straight line down after this. Yeah. Yeah. Smallpox, but we're not talking about smallpox right now. Um, so then going to the 20th century, uh, which is 1900 Common Era, <laughs> believe it yeah. or not. So these are two interesting uh, graphs. This is annual precipitation compared to 20th century average and annual temperature compared to 20th century average. So starting with the temperature, because that one's more obvious, temperature goes up from, you know, blue, stable, maybe a few anomalies across the decades to where we are now. Oops, all red. Yeah. Yeah, well over one degree Celsius, um, and in some places two or three degrees Celsius above 20th century average. Climate change doesn't affect um, everyone the same. And like in some small pockets, if you zoom in, in some small pockets in um, Louisiana and Alabama and Mississippi, sometimes the average temperature goes down. Yeah. That's an anomaly, though. That shouldn't be treated as any yeah, sort that's... of norm. For them, it is. What, what I found more interesting is annual precipitation. It goes up quite a bit, actually. In many parts of the U.S. Um, really, I think the fairest comparison is east of the Continental Divide, because that's about right here. So yeah. that means that none of the water falling on this side is going to have any impact on this side. Because yeah. any water that falls... West of the Continental Divide is going to end up in the Pacific. East is in the Atlantic. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah, that's just what happens when you rain on the side of a mountain. Yes, <laughs> it goes down. It goes so, down. How simple is this? Most of the Midwest, um, South, Northeast, precipitation goes up by over 10%. And that's very important to note is on average. Um, average doesn't really do much to address the uh, the very high ups and downs of climate change. Um, so, you know, you have really wet periods followed by really, really dry periods. Each of them does more damage than the other one. Yeah. And obviously the western U.S. has been drier over time. But what I want to focus on is probably the driest, one of the driest periods in recent history in the 1930s. Our beloved Dust Bowl, um, which I've nicknamed the Thunderdome, because it's kind of what happened. Um, so this is our timeline. So this is a this is just a screenshotted graph of 1931 to 1960 of rainfall, and the timeline was in 1930, 50% of crops in Arkansas failed, and then in wow. 1934 it was Black Sunday, so that's the worst dust storm in American history. Yep. And then 1936, 12 states break their temperature records, and then Louisiana experiences 115 consecutive days of 90-degree-plus temperatures. That's kind of just Louisiana, though. 
Yeah, they they were hit particularly bad from all this. You know, Louisiana, if you're living in Louisiana, you know what you're getting yourself into. You're getting yourself into, one, your house isn't going to exist in 10 years. Or if it does, you're going to need to rebuild it every two. I think people in Louisiana just take out 10 separate insurance policies that no other state has because of what is it like flood insurance is so expensive just flood, like wildfire hurricane. insurance and like the west is super expensive too because it's so likely going on down there yeah great food though great food lovely food we, we love we love cajun food yep. yeah so so what caused the dust bowl um it was poor agricultural policies and big drought and yep. uh, the 1930s is uh, by the 1930s there would be a negligible if any impact caused by like man-made climate change um, yeah. so th i don't attribute this to climate change but you know you had uh poor farming so you were exposing topsoil and you were digging up uh prairie grass that held down the topsoil so then when it did get dry all the soil was just really fine powder. And then when it got windy, um, it did this. It got kicked up. It did. Yeah, more or less, this is sort of an agrarian crisis instead mm -hmm. of a climate one. So the question is, we're heading into or in another mega drought um, that is not so much affecting the Great Plains yet, um, but it can. And I yeah. think the best thing that we can do is... Our farming practices have improved quite a bit from and like keeping the soil like avoiding soil depletion the best thing would be to protect prairie grasses as much as possible yeah prairie grasses deliberately grow incredibly wide complex root systems to keep the soil in place mm -hmm. and um you know, I like to think that we'll have learned from our mistakes. No, I probably like not. That if we're ever <laughs> susceptible in a large way to a dust bowl again, that mm -hmm. people will keep the soil in place. Yeah, we, we like our topsoil. We don't want it to go away. It takes a really long time to come back. It does. Many, many, many moons. Yep. So then here we are in the 21st century. Average rainfall is all over the place. Average temperature is um, in hell territory. And we can get up to 80% of the United States in some type of drought at the same time. <laughs> Reservoirs look like looking like this is the new normal. So here we are. Yep. Um, and just some one notable drought is the Ridge and 2011-2017 drought. So I got into this a little bit a couple episodes ago. But this ridge right here was a ridge of high pressure that pushed pretty much any storm north. And it affected almost the entire West Coast for about five years. Um, and it got so bad, it started looking like this. Yeah, that's... Uh, This was at the height of the drought. And this is a, a very important distinction from that of um, California's current conundrum in that the drought was affecting far more of the Central Valley than it uh, than it did the Sierra Nevada Mountains, and that's an important distinction because there's not really much rainfall in the Central Valley anyway, so that wouldn't really matter. And what really matters is how much drought is happening in the mountains. Yeah, that's where the reservoirs are. So if yes. you're having issue even gathering water in the first place, then there's no way you're going to be able to distribute it. Mm -hmm. And then as the drought 
progressed. Um, it affected more of Texas, the Great Plains. And, and then California set an all-time low precipitation le- uh, record in 2013. And San Francisco had its lowest rainfall ever, um, 5.59 inches in the year of 2013. Wow. And in the 2013-2014 winter snowpacks were the lowest recorded in 100, the last 100 years. And I mentioned this before, but in January 2014, the state cut allocations from the state water project to 0%. Um, so they used that time that the, the, the canals were literally just empty to, you know, get some resealing work done on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, this, this is empty. Just go for it. It works. It does. Yeah, so Sacramento and much of the Bay Area had to do mandatory water restrictions and rationing um, about half of their water. And over half a million acres in the Central Valley were fallowed in 2014. And in That's... 2015, wildfires burned about 7 million acres of forest um that was in all of the what that was in all of the united states and alaska which was affected too which wasn't the all-time national record that was sometime in the 80s yeah but wow Um, it's incredible that over half a million acres of land were fallowed i still can't even get over that yeah that was about 40 percent of land in the central valley at some point was under some type of either fallowing or extreme mitigation yeah so i um i just want to clarify just for people that might not be watching that might be watching this and not know what fallowing is that's when agricultural land is deliberately you know it's plowed and it's um basically made ready for farming but it's left unsown to keep its uh fertility up yeah so that must have been incredibly impactful for, uh, you know, fruit and agriculture in that time. Yeah, it was um, a lot of people, you know, I mean, you and I probably didn't know because we weren't really shopping or anything. We but, weren't really the age to buy fruits yeah, and vegetables from the Central Valley. Fruits and vegetables um, during the um, summer were harder to find. Yeah. And, but during the winter, uh, because most of the Colorado River, at least where the water came from, was relatively unaffected. The Imperial Valley could still get water pretty easily. Yeah. But, yeah. And then it all came to an end in 2017 with the wettest winter in U.S. history, um, which, you know, broke (laughs) a lot of dams. There's a reason that El Nino is referred to as the Miracle Child. It is the Miracle Child. Um, we will not get no El Nino this year, but it looks like we might have a kind of wet winter because there's, yeah, we're already in early November and there's substantial snowpack. Yeah. Yeah. Just might be a milder El Nino. Mm-hmm. That's what we want. That is what we want. We want mild things. It's, it does not lend itself to being exciting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So anything else you want to go for? Um, let's see. I think that covers all the pretty good uh, key points. Yeah, so next episode, we're going to get into these buggers. Yep. Yeah, forest fires. Um, so in my opinion, you know, you know how, like, the polar bear is the, um, 
like the champion uh like the mascot of like sea level rise oh yeah everyone's seen that photo of the polar bear on that little tiny uh-huh. patch of ice yeah and the monarch butterfly being that of gmos yeah i think forest fires are the same thing for climate change in general forest fires are one of the few times where mainstream audiences are exposed to you know undoubtable climate change yeah and a lot of the times you know it's a natural ecosystem occurrence but when it's on the scale that it's a fire like was like inches away from destroying south tahoe uh the caldor fire a few months ago you know fires are natural forest fires happen everywhere in effect some species have adapted to it like acacias that need heat in order for their seeds to grow but Mm -hmm. When you're destroying established trees that have established uh, that have survived many forest fires before that point, you know, something's wrong. That shows that you're having more severe effects that were not intended. Yeah, when it's um, a single fire burns through one million acres of forest and can easily be seen very obviously from space, you know, something's afoot, and we'll get into that. Yeah. All right, any shout-outs before we go? Shout-out to... Let's see. I think that uh, Midwest no-coast hat, I might have to get one of those. My shout-out... We definitely should get the yeah. poster. My shout-out definitely goes to Spotify for being impossible to put a podcast on. Oh, my God, really? I'm trying to figure it out. And, like, it's... So Spotify doesn't host podcasts directly. You need to have a distributing, uh, like, link that just keeps MP3s. And so I'm like, okay, so I need to convert all of these episodes into MP3s. And then I have yet to find a hosting service that is free. That's, um, as we're introducing podcast format, the, uh, I hope, I hope you all have enjoyed the, uh, really good visual aids that we provided um podcast uh, format might require some creative liberties yeah i mean i i try to put work into these slides to make things you know make things flow and to have slide notes but at the same time i i've gotten the inspiration of slide-based podcasts when i started this and yeah. they also have stuff on like apple and spotify it's the same exact thing it's just an mp3 format and they say you know if you want the slides just watch it on youtube yeah. and i'd like to think that as we're going on it's getting to the point where you don't have to have the slides on. We're kind of just describing what's going on enough. But yeah, things are happening, and it's um. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've tuned into podcasts before, and they've just been mentioning the chart or the graph, and mm-hmm. you know, interpretation interpretation is allowed there for what exactly the graph might say. But they're going to describe it too. Yeah, I was going to do it this week, but like I spent like an hour on it and like i'm not gonna do this for now <laughs> i'm not in the mood like no apple podcast is gonna like apple podcast is gonna happen because they actually host podcasts it's like 20 bucks a year and i think i'm at the point where i'm willing to make that investment yeah of course that's gonna be a split but you know of course all right and of course we don't monetize our videos and we don't do a patreon and we we won't um but freaking universal music group yeah universal music group the people that's the label for the song that's the intro and outro song 
they copyright strike the videos. Yeah. And I, I literally added like a member of the band on Twitter and said, Hey, can I use this song as like a podcast? I'm not making any money. He was like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. And fucking like I emailed uh, UMG and they're like, the band members are not the copyright holders of the song. We are. That does happen. Copyright is a very hairy. That's so hairy stupid. Wall. I, I can't see how you want to be a patent attorney, my guy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love semantics. You know it. Oh, oh, yeah, it's a mess. I got like, um, so their deal is that they're letting me run the 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 thing, but. YouTube runs ads on a video, whether it's monetized or not, and the money just goes directly to them. So, oh. then, the mo- so then the money goes to UMG. <laughs> yeah. We love you, YouTube. Don't ever change. Yeah, don't ever change, YouTube. You're getting rid of dislikes, but we still love you, Josh. Back. Dude. Alright. We'll set you free. Don't